Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Incoming transmission. Politics. Not good at politics. Surely there are others who are better suited. Trek Politics with Mary L. Trump and Bob Seska. Hello, and welcome to the very first episode of Trek Politics. I'm Mary Trump, here with my amazing co-host, Bob Seska. We're so happy to have you with us today. This will be the first of many shows, and we're kicking it off, Bob, with an interview with the amazing Terry Metalis. But before yeah. we get there, um, I wanted to start with this notion that we, you and I, are somehow single-handedly or double-handedly politicizing the entirely apolitical Star Trek universe. What say you, Bob? Yes, that's right. We've come to ruin Star Trek for everybody by injecting our liberal woke politics into... No, the, the truth is, Mary, as we all know, political allegory has always been part of the Star Trek universe. This is something that goes back to the original series. It's never about political parties. It's never about who's going to win or lose the next election or which issue is going through Congress. And so what we're going to be talking about here on this show is that almost on an episode by episode basis across all the different series, all the different movies, everything. I mean, there's a whole series of episodes of Star Trek that we've talked about already as far as topics for this show. Uh, A private little war is one (laughs) that from the original series having to do with the Vietnam War and escalation and the use of certain kinds of weapons. We'll, we'll get into that. DS9, uh, there was an episode of DS9 where there was a same-sex kiss. It was called Reunion. In fact, we mentioned that in our conversation with uh, Terry Metalis. We get into that topic. And so as we move forward with each new episode, we'll be covering that and, and discussing and, and sort of deconstructing and uh, in some cases debating and maybe even in some cases criticizing how Star Trek handled certain political issues. But sometimes mm-hmm. Star Trek gets it wrong, and we'll talk about that too. Yeah, and there's so much there. Uh, again, it's spanning decades and franchises and TVs and movie, TV and movies, as, as you've mentioned, uh, that we don't need to drag our current political situation into it. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, this is not a, a venue for looking at today's politics in America through the lens of Star Trek. What we're trying yeah. to do is help people understand the ways in which Star Trek itself mm-hmm. uh, has taken head on in many cases and sometimes badly uh, social issues that are still very relevant to us today. So. Yeah, yeah. I think it's going to be a a fascinating exploration of that. And of course, we get to talk about Star Trek and how much we love Star Trek and why we love it. And along those lines, uh, I think people would really love to know how you first got into it and what about Star Trek when you were a kid uh, just touched a chord uh, that 
made you a lifelong fan as I am? Yeah, it's a really good question. I think for me, uh, strangely enough, because I'm of a certain generation, I was born in 1971, and consequently, I was exposed to Star Wars first. Mm-hmm. And that was kind of the entry point to get into Star Trek, because that's when I started to explore the reruns that were on TV in the Washington, D.C. area where I grew up. And uh, and I fell in love with Star Trek because of that. And I was collecting the Mego action figures and uh, I had, in fact, there's a picture of me on Christmas morning. I think I was six or seven years old. And as a gift, I received the Star Trek utility belt with a communicator and a tricorder. It was the coolest thing in the world. I've got a picture of myself with my footy pajamas wearing the Star Trek utility belt. So I have very, very fond memories of uh, Star Trek from that point of view. And then, of course, the animated series. But I think for me, when it really kicked off was when I was in college and the next generation was on and i i picked up on the next generation a couple of seasons late and depending on who you ask that may be a fortuitous thing because of the first two seasons (laughs) not being quite running on all cylinders but by season three i think that's where i was really really getting into it and getting exposed to it and and talk about fandom i was building the starship models (laughs) during college really uh uh, attractive to the ladies by the way uh just oh come on over to my place Check out my AMT Star Trek models. <laughs> you smell that airplane glue. Yeah, that was fun. But that, yeah, that was yeah. me in college. And so that's where it really kicked off. And then into the 90s with Voyager and DS9. And then um, I, I kind of fell away from Star Trek for a while when that era of Star Trek kind of went away. It was mm-hmm. kind of simultaneous to that. And then um, Strange New World Season 1 came along. And it was such... A revelation as far as oh my god they've absolutely captured or recaptured that Star Trek vibe with the episodic storytelling and uh, just hitting all of the right Star Trek notes the aesthetic uh, the likable characters that good feeling that you have at the very end and then uh, and of course uh, Star Trek Picard season three uh, topped it for me it's just been one of those lifelong things I think it's been for everybody you know, so I'm sure it's the same with you. Yeah, um, I'm a little older, but so in 1971, I was watching uh, reruns uh, on WPIX Channel 11 in New yeah. York. Um, so that was my first experience with science fiction, and I became an avid reader of mm-hmm. science fiction, primarily. Isaac Asimov, whom I adored. I think I read everything the man wrote, uh, including his nonfiction science articles, uh, yeah. because I was a total geek. Um, but there was something about Star Trek. And don't get me wrong, I love Star Wars. I, I think I was 12 when the first Star Wars came out. But I am particularly fond of uh, the camaraderie, the consistent mm-hmm. teamness of star trek now obviously that exists in star wars but they're separated a lot and and it's chaotic and it's much more militaristic um i loved the vision of star trek uh i also thought that nichelle nichols well as i knew her lieutenant Hora, was one of the coolest people on the planet um and um i loved the character of spock uh, I thought that was fascinating. Yeah. Um, and and again, just the the togetherness of them and 
you know, I didn't, I did not watch it for its social commentary, shockingly. Uh, but that was the other thing. The social commentary didn't get in the way of enjoying the uh, story. Yeah, yeah. Um, right? And I I think, I, I just, I think it stayed uh, in reruns forever. So I never stopped watching the original series. And then, um, like you, I probably got into uh, The Next Generation a little late. And um, then Deep Space Nine what became one of my favorite things. It was, uh, mm-hmm. I, I find the world building and the politics in Deep Space Nine fascinating. And I never watched Voyager when it was out. I'm yeah. not sure, why, maybe I wasn't able to watch more than one Star Trek at a time. I don't really know what happened. Um, but there was a you lot know, of Star Trek at that time. There yeah. was. Enterprise, yeah. I've seen one episode, I think. Wow. Yeah, I know. I All right, am I going to lose my uh, geek cred here? I don't know, maybe, I, maybe we <laughs> no. should cut that part out. Um, but the, and, and of course I love the movies. So when, uh, I guess discovery would have been the next after a years long absence of, uh, Star Trek TV shows, discovery was announced. So I was very excited about that. And, uh, the possibilities discovery offered for spinoffs, uh, of which we finally did get strange new worlds, which I agree with you is just phenomenal. Mm -hmm. Um, and has also, uh, has the promise of being a multi-year series. Uh, Mm -hmm. you know, we know Picard is over, but now we have the promise of legacy. Hopefully, hopefully keep writing letters, people. It's, it it will matter. Legacy, that hashtag. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so the way the show has grown and the way, uh, or I should say the universe of Star Trek has grown the way it continues to grapple with issues that are relevant to all of us, the way it continues to miss the mark sometimes. Hmm. I mean, it's all just fascinating. And to be able to talk about that uh, in the midst of some pretty trying times we're living in, uh, you know, it gives us something to hope for, to strive for. And again, um, it's always been a model of how we can be and, and, what humanity can choose, I guess. Mm-hmm. Exactly. That's a really good point. And in fact, I think we discussed that a little bit with Terry Metalis, where I'm really into the utopian future aspect of Star Trek, the promise that it offers humanity now, because ostensibly the Star Trek timeline is an offshoot of our current timeline. It's our times, but you know, 200, 300 years into the future. And if we make all the right decisions, then maybe we can have the Enterprise D soaring through the cosmos. You know what I mean? It's one of those things that uh, offers so much hope and optimism. Now, granted, it had to go through, and this is in the Star Trek timeline, that it had to go through some turbulent times that we seem to be right on the cusp of, uh, as far as a second civil war, eugenics war, World War III, as outlined in the uh, first episode, or the Strange New Worlds pilot. Mm-hmm. Um, by the way, just a quick mention of that, since Strange New Worlds is premiering season yep. two right now. That first episode of Strange New Worlds embodies so much of what we're going to kind of be hitting upon on this show. The very fact that out of that first episode, within that first hour, it's like, okay, you know what? <laughs> we're going to lay it all out. Here comes January 6th. Yep. Thump. Yeah, I agree. I like the fact that they're not pulling punches, but I also like the fact that they so clearly understand 
their mandate here because mm -hmm. a lot of people will say, well, that's just politicizing Star Trek. Well, yeah. if you think that storming the Capitol is a matter of politics, then maybe you need to uh, reconsider that. Mm -hmm. uh, this is this because what I believe their their message is um, is that we cannot survive if we attack the very institutions we participate in together. Yeah. Uh, you know, so that's as far as I'm concerned, that's not a Republican versus Democrat democratic thing. Uh, that's a pro-democracy versus anti-democracy thing. Mm -hmm. um, and that reminds me of something that you mentioned earlier, uh, having to do with uh, the right way or the wrong way uh, to politicize Star Trek. Somebody we both know in Revile uh, tweeted something uh, a while back, a few years ago. Uh, that's a perfect example of what we're not going to do mm -hmm. in this show. Yeah, and that was Ted Cruz in 2015. He said, I think it is quite likely that Kirk is a Republican and Picard is a Democrat. No, there's so many things wrong with that. First of all, political parties, applying modern day political parties in the 21st century to something that's going on in the 23rd century, 24th century, on into the 25th century is just a, a huge mistake. And that's politicizing Star Trek, as far as I'm concerned. And yeah. when it comes to Kirk and the question of ideology and the times that they live in in, in the future, we're talking about a federation that is essentially multicultural space communism. <laughs> I mean, when it comes right down to it, we're talking about a, a democracy that also has this economic communistic angle to it, where there is no more money, there is no drive, there is no profit motive that exists in that universe. And so to begin to apply Republican and Democrat to someone that ostensibly exists 200 years from now is not only a mistake as far as just it being anachronistic, but also in terms of the political culture of the United Federation of Planets and Starfleet. While it may have that nautical Navy military vibe to it with Starfleet, the fact of the matter is that it's an organization that's built around eliminating a lot of the things that quite frankly are revered in modern times, including capitalism, which no longer exists. Certainly it exists among certain pockets and civilizations, the Ferengi, for example, but mm -hmm. not in the Federation for sure. Yeah. And in fact, uh, people in the Federation cannot understand the kind yeah. of capitalism that drives the Ferengis or drives us, quite frankly. Yeah. And it's that kind of, uh, that ability to overcome uh, the the kinds of uh, institutions that I think limit us mm -hmm. yeah. as human beings that again makes makes Star Trek and the Star Trek universe a place I really want to live. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And and you know, going back to Strange New Worlds, there's an episode also that we're going to definitely cover in a future episode of the podcast, and that is the episode Lift Us Where Suffering Cannot Reach. Mm -hmm. And this is a great example of an episode of Star Trek that isn't necessarily cut and dry. Right. There isn't necessarily, oh, I agree with this side of the issue and not and I disagree with that side of the issue. 
And it's not necessarily that way. There's another episode of uh, The Next Generation with Dr. Timison played by David Ogden Stiers. Yeah, and it's, great uh, episode. Yeah, it's called Half a Life. It's a wonderful episode. And there is no definitive, okay, we're taking Timison's side on this or we're taking mm -hmm. Waxana Troy's side on this. So it's not going to be a discussion like that necessarily, but we are going to examine what drives this allegory. And in the case of Lift Us Where Suffering Cannot Reach, it's the whole idea of sacrificing one person for the greater good of society. That's yeah. a great, great example of the uh, kind of topics we'll be hitting here. Yeah, and all three of the episodes you just mentioned also force us to step outside and look at uh, the idea of uh, the things we do culturally mm -hmm. that become normal, yeah, normalized, that we never question. Uh, you know, and and in the episode with Majel Barrett and David Ogden Sears, you're much better at remembering names of episodes than I am. Uh, you know, it's in challenging the culture of uh, the race David Ogden Sears is from, mm -hmm. she makes reference to a, a fashion that used to exist on Beta Zoid, um, which was women would wear huge hats and in on top of the hat would be a cage in which there were animals. <laughs> and oh, she said yeah, it was yeah. uncomfortable for the women and cruel to the animals. And mm -hmm. we finally came to terms with that, you know? Yeah. So I think that's another service that's done a lot of times. And sometimes it's done very subtly. Sometimes yeah, yeah. not so much because it's Star Trek, but sometimes it is. And I think having having those opportunities is also something that uh, we're going to have a lot of fun with as well. Yeah, definitely. And with just the most incredible guests that we have lined up for you. Um, I don't know if we want to give people any uh, <laughs> any glimpses into what the, what we have in store for them. But today, for sure, uh, we we scored a coup uh, because our special guest is the one and only Terry Metalis, who is as great a guy as he is uh, a creator. Um, yeah. Because what he did with Picard, particularly in season three, was just stunning. Mm -hmm. So many things to unpack in our conversation with Terry. We go from discussing some of the nerdy points, things uh, we observed about uh, season three. We talk about all of that. Plus, we get into some uh, political allegory in yeah. th the season, which um, there was quite a bit of. Yeah. Uh, and I think that's not something that's getting a whole lot of discussion. But I think we go there and, and Terry is absolutely willing to dig into all of that with us, too. And one of the things that we talk about is um, and this goes back to our conversation about Ted Cruz. Why do conservatives? What is it about Star Trek that appeals to conservatives because of the, the series, all the series being so heavy on political allegory and it coming from a more progressive set of values? What is it about Star Trek that conservatives attach themselves to? And we're not saying conservatives can't like Star Trek or because that would be very anti-Star Trek of mm -hmm. us because mm -hmm. Star Trek is an inclusive universe. But it's a, very, it's a curiosity. <laughs> and so that's one of the things that we cover a little bit with Terry on uh, today's episode. Yeah, well, I 
think it was one of the best interviews I've been part of. Uh, he is just phenomenal, so smart, so generous. And to get a glimpse into his process and his experience with his long standing experience with Star yeah. Trek uh, was just a highlight. Uh, so I have no doubt everybody is going to enjoy it tremendously. Absolutely. Yeah. So our guest today is uh, the great Terry Metalis from Picard season three. Uh, I keep saying this is one of the first things I said publicly about his work on on this season of Picard is that he's done for Star Trek what uh, Dave Filoni and John Favreau have done for Star Wars. And that is no yeah. small feat to be able to have not only a success with fans, a success with critics, a success in terms of ratings, and now even some Emmy buzz that's going along with it, some extraordinarily well-deserved Emmy buzz. That's an amazing thing, and it so seldom happens, especially when it comes to some of these nerdier uh, sagas, some of these nerdier, some people call them franchises. I don't like that word, but franchises nevertheless uh so and also as you said he's a hell of a nice guy so i'm yeah. so glad we had the opportunity to talk with terry so here we go here's me and mary talking with the great terry metallis man that sunset is gorgeous grill patio sunset hard to get better than that unless you're browsing carvana's inventory while you soak it all in oh burger time so sit back, get comfortable. Carvana's got thousands of cars under $20,000 just waiting for you. I could stay here forever. Carvana, where car buying meets comfort meets convenience. Download the app or visit Carvana.com today. First of all, hello. Hi. <laughs> very good to be you. I just say I haven't been nervous about anything in a very long time. So what? Uh, I'm nervous. I mean, I'm nervous about running the video controls. Is this running? I think this is recording. I think we're all. Anxious. I, I am not worthy to be your first guest, guys. Like, come on, this is crazy. I I know many billions of people who would disagree with that assessment. Yeah. Are you still riding the wave of euphoria uh, after the immense success of all of this? I mean, you've got. A, a download slash ratings hit. You've got a hit with critics. You got a hit with fans. Plus, it's a a saga that you're passionate about. I mean, you must be like acutely aware of how rare this is as a thing to happen. You know, it didn't. Uh, it was a slow burn for me. Uh, it was surreal uh, because uh, Twitter doesn't necessarily let you feel the success if you look at every corner in the universe and I, and I was in the beginning uh, 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 so uh, I, I didn't necessarily uh, uh, feel the success right away um, then I just left Twitter <laughs> and then I, I started to get a lot of calls around yeah. town uh, from people in Hollywood and started to take a lot of meetings from people who uh, who had watched the season, who, uh, who I deeply respected and were like really into it. <laughs> and, and that's when it uh, sort of uh, dawned on me that, that maybe there was a lightning in, in a bottle here. Um, and, uh, as as that started to um, blow up a lot more, um, and then the IMAX screening was 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 pretty seismic. 
um, and being in that room um, uh, and then being with the fans. And it, it, I mean, it was like Avengers Endgame uh, with the cheering. Uh, that that then it really started to to set in um, that there was something really special happening. Um, and then and then things started to just trend on Twitter for weeks at a time. Uh, and that was extraordinary. Um, uh, but uh, it's yeah, it's been it's been surreal. Um, and 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 then you know, hanging out with you two folks and <laughs> and, and, uh, and Bob, you and you talking it about on your amazing show, I had friends uh, texting me. Being like, I, you know, uh, Bob won't stop talking about it every morning on your morning show. And, and, and they would send me clips from it. And I'm like, this is extraordinary. So uh, it, it's been a wild ride. It sounds a bit like your experience uh, shooting some of the scenes. You know, you've talked about how it was almost impossible to be in the moment. Yeah. You know, when you're on Enterprise Day with <laughs> the entirety of the original cast of Next yeah. Generation. And you've got two days to nail what has been uh, in progress right. for six months, right? With legends, right? Um, that you, how do you enjoy that? You know, you're sort of white knuckling it. Little tiny moments, little moments. Mm -hmm. of, or to get to do this little, like for just seconds at a time, are extraordinary. And then you got to get to work. Um, now it's uh, amazing. Um, I, you know, I saw, uh, you know, we're in the middle of a big writer's strike. Yeah. Um, and uh, I was hanging out with LeVar was on the strike line. And, you know, now LeVar and I are friends, which is a weird thing to say. We're talking about, you know, we, you know, we have aspirations to do it again one day and we have ideas for things on that. And that's really fun to talk about. So, uh, yeah. And we're going to see each other again at this uh, Trek convention coming up and we're all getting a dinner so that like that's really fun and we get to watch it the finished product is when it's really uh uh that's when i get the goosebumps actually yeah. seeing them on the bridge with the music and knowing we did it and feeling that's that is the that's the moment when i actually feel it but not that not the, the making of it was, was difficult as a fan, were you able to watch it afterward without seeing all the seams and the behind the scenes stuff? Were yes. you able to absorb it as, yes. as an entity in and of itself and enjoy yeah. it? Yeah. Not necessarily the first, the first cuts. Sometimes the first cut would come together and you'd be like, oh, wow. Uh, <laughs> you know, Drew Nichols, uh, my longtime uh, editing partner uh, that goes back to my show 12 Monkeys and my composer, uh, uh, Stephen Barton, uh, my new composer, uh, Freddie Weedman, when we when we started to put those pieces together, uh, you 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 don't see the production aspect of it anymore. You really do feel like it's Picard, it's Riker, it's those folks, and that all that stuff falls away, and 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 you really do you you feel like you're in the movie, um, and yeah. that that really helps. So what was your uh, first love in terms of all this stuff goes? I, I think we're all generally part of the same generation uh, coming up at around the same time. Uh, was it your entree? Was your gateway drug in all of this? Star Wars, Raiders, Ghostbusters, that sort of thing. Like, What was the first thing that you saw that said, you know what? This is my planet. This is my this is my world. What was that first thing for you? Uh, it's hard. You know what? The 
to if it was the chicken or the you know the egg here it was i was you know i was born in 75 so yeah. uh i always had the original series on mm -hmm. you know, my dad always had that on you grew uh, up in new jersey right so you're watching it on uh, channel 11 yeah. WPIX, New York. Yep. Uh, Represented. So, yes. Uh, yes. You would know it well, wouldn't you? Yeah. I've, I've read your book. <laughs> yeah. So it, it's the, um, uh, it, it was that and it was, and of course it was Star Wars, uh, you know, so um, yeah, it was Sunday afternoons uh, with Star Trek. Uh, yeah. So it's hard to tell exactly where, where it began, but yeah, it was, it was certainly those. Um, Star Trek had the, you know, certainly for your show, was the entry point for, for morality, mm. uh, you mm -hmm. know, for morality lessons and, yeah. um, and for mm. first interracial kiss and um, diversity right away. Um, and so that was uh, important. Yeah, Terry, I want to I want to dig into that a little bit more um, because these are very different universes, Star Wars and Star Trek, and we can love both of them for very different reasons. But Star Trek, as you say, always resonated because of. I mean, maybe as kids that we didn't notice the, the diversity and and that kind of thing, but also the the camaraderie and the idea of a greater good. Um, and what's always struck me, particularly as the iterations have uh, become more frequent, is that the people who participate in the making of Star Trek franchises really seem to uh, subscribe to the show's ethos. And I've always yeah. found that fascinating. Plus, of course, you guys always seem to get along so well. Like you genuinely appreciate, respect, and like each other as the characters in the original series and going forward do. Is that just luck? Or do you think there's something else at work here? Oh, that's interesting. I don't know. Um I I don't know. I could be quite a I could be a little bit of of everything. Um I uh I think. I think if Star Trek is in your DNA, then it becomes part of um, who you are as a person and, and, and embracing the infinite diversity and infinite combinations and probably as part of um, being as open-minded uh, as, as you can and embracing as many different um, opinions and kinds of personalities and people. So you hopefully will get along with, with as many kinds of, of, as, of, of people as you can, mm -hmm. can be hard, <laughs> you know? Um, but uh, so maybe there is, there might be something, something to that. That's interesting. Yeah. I would say Michael and Denise Okuda are uh, prime examples of that in my, terms of my, not only their expertise, my, but yeah. yeah, in terms of how they themselves embody the values of Star yes. Trek, it's kind Absolutely. of an amazing overlap. I mean, if there are Star Trek characters existing in our modern real life right now, I would have to yeah. say, I mean, apart from the cast members, I would say Michael and Denise Okuda are those people. They are 
sort of time travelers from the Star Trek universe in our modern really? time saying, hey, keep an eye on this. Keep an eye on these stories that we're telling because they mean something and they're telling you something about your lives. And to me, that's really what Star Trek is kind of about. It's kind of giving us a message from the future to say, if you can stay on track, if you can make these decisions in the right order, in the right way, with these ideas and these values in mind, you can end up in this amazing utopian future. It was a really big deal to have Mike and Denise back for yeah. this season. Uh, you know, the, uh, they go back to, so when I, I moved out uh, to Los Angeles to um, be an intern on Star Trek, uh, I was an intern. I was an intern for Star Trek Post, which was both Deep Space Nine and Star Trek Voyager. Uh, I was working for free. I was getting start. I was getting college credit. Um, and so one of the things that I would love to do was sneak out of Post and hang out at the art department, just because I had all the Akuta books and like I had their. I literally had their baseball card. They had a Topps baseball card <laughs> from with Mike and Denise Akuta, and oh they were like, uh, you know, you win. They, yeah. They, uh, you know, took me under their wing and then I became a PA. I would still hang out with them in their art department. Um, uh, I, I remember specifically, uh, they had, uh, <laughs> they had chocolate covered, um, espresso beans and I would get all <sighs> up on that. Uh, had my heart beating way too fast on those. Uh, Denise would give me those. So, um, and I stayed with them, uh, you know, uh, and I became an assistant, but through enterprise. So there was a, there was a large swath of my life hanging out with the Akutas. So bringing them back onto this show was so important to me and having them embrace the season the way they did um, was like being officially blessed by it. And then, you know, uh, it was, uh, it, it was a, a, a very uh, emotional, important aspect of the, of the season was having them um, uh, love it the way that they did. There was a uh, a meme going around the other day on on Twitter, uh, Terry. It was Dax's same sex kiss from that reunion episode of DS Nine. I think it was season four. And this guy reacted by saying, "Oh, Star Trek is just for lefties now." Uh, <laughs> it's oh my god, it resembles San Francisco. I remember right. that part about yeah. it. Nice wait a second here. Wait, wait till they find out where uh, Starfleet headquarters is. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, and I love that you called him a chucklehead, by the way. <laughs> I love the Rickles reference. That was outstanding. Yeah, so, I mean, what doesn't he get about Star Trek? <laughs> it uh, seems probably like just about every aspect, it seems like yeah. it. Um, you know, I get, look, I, I, it, is, it is an odd thing to me that there are hardcore conservative Star Trek fans. It feels yeah. as though they missed almost every um but i i i guess i'm glad that maybe there are that maybe some of it will 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 seep through like i i do have look i ha i i have friends that are conservative friends like i i don't i don't i don't ban my conservative friends i don't kick them out of my life i don't um i i i find that if there is a method of a window of communication then there is a window to to get new ideas and sometimes we find common ground and 
there are ways. And so that maybe there is a way through different things to get new ideas. Um, but uh, uh, so maybe, <laughs> maybe there's hope for, for, for us to, to, to find ways to talk, but it is surprising. Um, yeah. it, it is often surprising that, um, you know, you know, and some of these things that, that uh, the, the Star Trek is woke is, is the other thing that is, uh, is, oh, yeah. is the new one that I'm just like, Star Trek is <laughs> the word think woke it has driving me. Well, they can't define a lot of people who use the word can't define. I've never used that word in my life, but those who use it most seem not to be able to define it. And you know, I think Bob and I were talking about this the other day. Is it possible it's because things that used to be simply about, you know, equality and social justice have become politicized. So things that everybody used to want, at least theoretically have fallen down on either side of a divide and maybe we're just in this particularly challenging period of time when um you know the things that that used to unite us as star trek fans from regardless of what our politics are uh kind of keep us apart and that it's it's just a temporary situation and we just need to kind of get through it and hope <laughs> <laughs> that yeah. um, that's going to stopping the case. I hope. Like, does the trailer for Empire Strikes Back come out today? And Lando Calrissian is considered oh, woke. Like, right. in, in, oh in, yeah. Like, yeah. like is that you know? I, I don't. That's insane to me. But like, uh, but maybe like I don't. I I I don't. I, I really don't. I don't know. Um, I, maybe it is a phase. <laughs> I, I often I wonder where the, like what started it like uh, I I uh, let's well I mean this is the right conversation right your Trek politics like yeah. was it the moment that they ran Hillary and and uh, and Trump like was it the moment we took the most polarizing candidates uh, and that the world sort of just went you know into two or does it go back even farther like, like i don't know at what point we started this incredible cultural divide um yeah. it yeah. feels like it was then um that the sit like uh, at what point did the pendulum start to swing so far that everything started to overreact in every which way i don't know yeah, I mean, I, I've kind of pegged that at about 1980, I would say, where yeah. Reagan's Republican Party kind of entered into this union, this coalition with the religious right. And at that point, that's when you start to get the culture wars inserted into politics. I mean, obviously, we'd seen pockets of it. But I mean, I, yeah, I have this theory about conservative Star Trek fans. I'll go back to that real quick. Um, my grandmother used to see Liberace on TV <laughs> and wonder, when is he going to take a wife? Uh, I mean, <laughs> right. I, I wonder if maybe conservatives just haven't noticed the allegories. Like they're too busy watching the space battles or listening to the music. I don't know what. They're seeing something else in Star Trek and missing the message, the values in there. Or maybe they're just deliberately ignoring that. I mean, that could be a real thing too. I imagine 
sort of like, what was it, the age, ancient Aztecs looking out on the horizon and not seeing the conquistadors and their ships coming toward the shore to invade and occupy that land. Maybe it's that. Maybe it's just this self-delusion. The counter-argument that you often, they hear is, I don't like to feel hammered over my head with it, is, there, is the argument you, yeah. you, you hear. So where is the degree of hammering? Like, who yeah. measures the degree of what is hammered? You know, I think what's what what I found really interesting is that uh, the original series, a lot of times, the what what they were willing to explore um, was about as subtle as um, William Shatner's reading of the Constitution uh, to the Yang. <laughs> right. You know, it was speaking of hammering, yeah. and oh my god, in a lot of ways, that that's sort of. Um, the legacy of the show uh, that there there is no pulling of punches and people are going to be who they who they are and one of the great things about Picard uh, predict I, I mean the whole show but it, it, you see it even more in season three is the the diversity and there are all kinds of diversity mm -hmm. is so organic yeah right right and I just so first of all kudos because it's just it's. It's the most wonderful thing to see this world that is exactly as it should be. And everybody's comfortable in their own skin and everybody's comfortable with everybody else. And the challenges are external to questions of identity. So thank you for that. I mean, it, it's truly, it was one of the most moving things about and, mo and most successful things about the season for sure. Well, I, I appreciate that. I mean, I don't I don't know that I can take uh, the most credit for that. You know, I think we try and do that with um, as many people uh, as we can, you know, and, and you want you want to check into a lot. You know, we check in with um, uh, Michelle uh, uh, heard a lot, always kept us honest to not just with. Uh, it's not just in 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 in, uh, in front of the camera. We want to do it behind the scenes as well, too. You know, there's 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 many aspects that um, uh, the film and television has failed behind the scenes as well. Yes. So uh, and so we 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 try and uh, and get that right as well. Um, and. Uh, yeah, you know, you, you try and do try just the 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 best you can in an organic uh, way as possible. Yeah, and one of the things I noticed right off the bat in terms of season three was the strong presence of women over fifty, and this is a great example of the organic nature of Star Trek and the inclusiveness and diversity of it. And that is that it there wasn't a deliberate effort to say let's have six, seven cast members be women over 50, including our primary villain. But it was just, it was natural to Star Trek. And to me, that's why it's so confounding when people go, well, why are they trying to shove their politics down our throats? Well, it's not. It's, it's actually something that makes sense in the universe. It's set up in this world. These are characters that we have seen. I mean, Michelle Heard being more a more recent character, but right. the rest of them, by and large, well, and Amanda Plummer's uh, Vada character also new. But I mean, by and large, the characters that we're looking at in this story of, of season three, these are all established characters in the Star Trek universe. And then bringing them all together, suddenly that 
light went off over my head. I said, wow, that's, that's an incredible thing. And it's so rare for that town, even now. I, by town, I mean Hollywood. Uh, it, it seems like it's a town that's still, even in 2023, resistant to casting women uh, over even the age of 40 in many of these roles. And I think that's maybe a great example, uh, Mary, of what you're talking about in terms yeah. of Thank you. You know, I don't know what, you know, again, it's not my intention. Uh, You know, um, the last show I did 12 monkeys, what we ran four years and, uh, uh, and I I shared some of the DNA of the season, uh, uh, shared some, some producers as well. And we did the same thing that starred, uh, uh, amazing German actress, Barbara Sukova. Um, and a lot of, uh, same, same over 50 uh, uh, or older women too. I don't know if, if it just, we were all drawn to find that more interesting. Um, maybe because you just don't see it on television a lot, but we did, we did the same thing and we got a lot of the same criticism. I don't know if we just were drawn to writing more, a more uh, matriarch uh, story. I don't know. It's interesting. Uh, uh, I didn't something I didn't really consider until now. Same thing, villain too. <laughs> the villain was uh, very similar to uh, to uh, an Amanda Plummer thing. Um, but uh, I think it's just because it is not the norm. Um, it is yeah. something you don't see in uh, big, large science fiction um, canvases like that. You know. Um, I think Battlestar Galactica, uh, I think probably, which is the, I think, you know, obviously uh, I saw uh, you're going to have Mary McDonald on, which I want to bow before her. Uh, (laughs) I was, I was actually at the series finale screening uh, for that and, um, and and then met her there. And I I just wanted to just, I mean, that series to me is the end all be all. Um, I, I totally agree. And, but that is a great example of can do no wrong in, in that regard. Um, so I think maybe maybe there's some of that. But. I think it has has to do with what you said earlier, that if you if you grew up uh, in the Star Trek universe uh, and, and you follow it and you probably unconsciously, because, you know, again, I was I, I was uh, really young when the rerun started. Like mm-hmm. that's how I, I wasn't watching it, you know, when it was still on broadcast television. Um, or not, that's not what I'm saying. When, when the first three seasons were ongoing, I it was in syndication. Um, and I just thought Lieutenant Uhura was like one of those cool, coolest things ever. I didn't think right. about anything else about her except that she's this incredibly cool woman. Right. Um, so you grow up with that and it becomes normal. So I, you don't have to seek it out. You know, when you're casting or when you're coming up with the storyline, it's just part of you as much as it's part of this incredible universe that that Gene Roddenberry kicked off for us, what, 60 years ago now? Yeah. Incredible. And I think that's why it works, because it's not intentional in an artificial Mm -hmm. way. Well, that's the thing about Star Trek. You've got to be thinking on several different levels at the same time. I mean, I, I can't even imagine the whiteboard in the writer's room. And it had to have looked like, uh, you know, like that scene in True Detective where he's got the storage space and the push pins and the 
and the yarn connecting and the map. And I, I mean, the complexity of putting that season together was just immense. And this is, you know, politics, culture, allegory aside, the process of doing that where you've got an ensemble cast and they all have something that they need to be doing. They need to have individual arcs. They need to crisscross in some way. I mean, the process of breaking this season had to have been, I mean, I'm just watching this going, how did they do this? How did you get all of these <laughs> puzzle pieces to connect the way it did? It, it is an extraordinary feat. It's lightning in a bottle. How, what was the, where do you start in that process? And, and how do you get to that end point with all of these moving parts? Well, I think what most people don't understand is, um, and you see this a lot on social media, which is, well, how come they didn't blah, blah, blah? How come they didn't do this? Or why didn't they think this? Or did they think that? It's like, well, we might have. But you also didn't understand the time clock that right. we had, which exactly. is essentially um, you have 48 hours to write that script or, or develop that to develop that break. Yeah. While while people are knocking on your door, while you have to be pulled away to edit, while actors are asking for their time with the story, with their so um, it is you don't have the luxury of of all the time in the world to work out all the problems. To I mean w that would be incredible. Uh, I so that that would that's I think the um, the misconception of how stories are put together in television is um is the luxury to go down every avenue discuss every aspect politically um uh, how it affects uh story character gender uh um uh, every aspect of of the rainbow if, if you will, you just don't, you try, you're very, very, very best, but eventually you've got to get that to stage because someone has to shoot it. Um, yeah. and, uh, and, and that's it. And there's a budget, right. <laughs> you know, uh, right. and then, and then you got to write it. And then sometimes you write it and they say, Nope. Or, or you do write it. And then, uh, an exec goes, ah, I don't like it. So you got to change it. Or an actor says, I don't like it. Or someone mm -hmm. says, I gotta say it. Um, so there's all those things too. Um, uh, that doesn't necessarily answer your que your, your your question, but it, it is, um, you know, it is. Uh, there's usually the the broad concept is uh, here's the story. I think we're heading in this direction for sure. Yeah. I mean, it started basically with um, the fundamental idea that that um, it was about legacy. It was what we pass on. It was mm -hmm. about what if Picard had passed on the worst part of himself um, to his son. Um, that that was the last story, um, and I was always I was fascinated by that as as a father. Um, you know, I, you know, I look at my kid, man. You know, you 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 smile when you see the best traits of yourself, and then when you see the worst parts of yourself, you get like, oh my god, oh. Yeah. Oh, it gets that from me. Yeah. You know, um, and uh, and so that is that's always fascinating to me. So that that that's the core of it, and so that sort of dictated the whole story. Um, 
and you do that with your with with a room of unbelievably talented writers and you can you flesh out that story um as fast as you can yeah and and actually that reminds me of something i i want to ask you but before i do i just want to point out that by making the extraordinarily difficult choices you made by not inviting every single person back who you, of course you would have wanted to include, you know, mm -hmm. um, yeah. you allowed space for some just stunningly poignant moments with the people who were there, uh, which again, another incredible gift. Um, but you would also, I'd also heard you say in another interview, you know, the idea of killing off a character, and a, a lot of people often refer to that as a brave move, you know, because you're challenging the audience or you're upsetting the audience. But I think what you did, what you guys did in this season was much braver. And it was allowing these people we grew up with admiring, um, wanting to emulate, idolizing in some cases, incredibly strong people and making them so vulnerable uh especially Jean-Luc Picard. Uh so can you talk about that a little bit about how how that worked out with the actors and and what they contributed to that because there are a couple of moments there that I think would have challenged us in ways and that just killing somebody off would not have done. Uh well we we were fortunate that all the actors were more than willing to to go there. Um uh certainly um nobody was was uh particularly uh driven to just play the characters as they did in the 1990s uh, mm -hmm. you know nobody right. wanted to just nobody was like we're, we let's just do the the next gen characters in fact that was everyone right away was like they just don't want to be doing next generation yeah um and that's um also a challenge uh because in some ways you feel like you're betraying the next generation because you're not doing the next generation you have to ask yourself why would beverly crusher not tell jean-luc picard about her son so you really have to justify that as best you can uh with character and story and whatnot in ways that you're like oh i don't know um, but ultimately I think we, we, we got there. I think we, yep. you know, um, and justified it in a, in, in a pretty solid way. Um, uh, so the good news is they're all, they all really want to go there. Um, yeah. and, um, and Gates is fully embraced that and went to places and freaks, my God, uh, you know, um, we went to places with with Riker um, that I never thought we would we would be able to to pull off, and then bought it back. You know, because that's the other thing is you don't want misery porn with the next gen cast, right? Exactly. You know what I mean? Like, like that's not where you want to be. You don't want to do six feet under, um, and just be like, thanks a lot for making me feel miserable with the star trek next generation because like you want to see them be joyous and be on the bridge and laugh with them too like that was very yeah. important like you like you just didn't want to live in that space forever with them um 
because you would hate that. That's right. That's what you did. Misery porn with the next gen cast. So, <laughs> you might, yeah, um, I can imagine like pitching to Patrick Stewart. Hey, the next gen cast, but you're running a funeral home. What do you but, think? But, you know what? But, but again, like they, <laughs> they would love to nothing more than to because they, you know, to play those. Those these are these are master thefts. They they would love yeah. to do that. You know, Patrick Stewart would. Are, he, absolutely, I will. He'll cry for forty-five minutes straight. He, he's a fantastic. He, he's a Shakespearean actor. For you can do anything. So, like, so at the same time, you 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 got to you have to make sure that you're going to. Again, that's why it was so important to me at the end that you spend time with them playing poker, being seeing them laugh, see those actors be themselves. Like that's them laughing at the end. Yeah. That's them improving. That's them. You're. I wanted. I wanted people to feel like what it's like to hang out with the next gen cast, um, and and have that special moment that the rest of us have when we're hanging out with them. Uh, so uh, that uh, <laughs> so you could buy all that back if you were like, oh, thanks a lot. Like I, I had to watch Beverly Crusher and and Picard argue about their baby. Thanks for that. At least you got to see them play poker and have fun by the end. Uh, you know what I mean? So, um, mm-hmm. but so that, so that, that was important, but, but television has evolved, right? We're yeah. not, you're not, it wasn't, we weren't going to do of the week. I and mean, again, some fans were like, this is not next gen. This is not, we, we weren't seeing measure of a man. I was like, no, we had not, we weren't doing next gen. We were doing very, very much. We were doing Star Trek 11. You know, we were doing another, this mm-hmm. was cinematic universe, Star Trek. We, that was what we set out to do one last big movie. Um, so that meant you were going deeper into their characters and challenging them and seeing vulnerability in that way. So um, yeah, you know, it's scary. It is scary to go there because you are going to lose people. Um, and, and we, we knew that. Um, but it's also exciting. Um, it was exciting to see Brent Spiner play five different characters in the span of 45 seconds. It was exciting. By the way, LeVar, when LeVar went into that space where he he's telling Data how broken he was when he died, you would have never really seen Jordy go to that, that place to Data before. And, uh, yeah. you know, when, when we shot it, we were like, we were all we got emotional, but we didn't know how the fans were going to react. So, yeah, and along those lines, when you saw the super positive reaction to Captain Shaw, uh, Todd Stashwick's character, yeah, and, and you're like, oh crap, we kill him later. <laughs> Spoiler, sorry. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> did, you, did you come up with a way to like? Did you start thinking at that point? Okay, well, if we do legacy. Here's how we're gonna bring him back. I mean, was there a set a sense of panic about like, oh my God, everyone loves this character and he dies. What do we do now? No, there was uh, no. So uh, so uh, there's for leg. There is always a sh- Captain Shaw is dead. There is always a there was always a Todd Stashwick in Legacy, but mm-hmm. Captain Shaw is dead. So there was, but there was from minute one, there was always Todd Stashwick and like, that's all I'm going to say. Um, <laughs> and it's awesome and it's amazing. And we've always loved it. And uh, I was <laughs> hanging out at Jerry's with Todd and. Uh, As one does. 
Yes, yeah. and, and 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 Todd had this pitch for this episode in Legacy. God bless if we ever do it. That is amazing. And he was pitching it to Jerry and how to play it, and it was the greatest thing ever. Um, and again, we, it was oh, it's always been baked in the DNA of, of of an idea, even before, even before. So no, we never we were never worried. It was this was always the it was always the art. Uh, I'm just glad that uh, the audience embraced Todd because I love Todd and he's he's one of my best friends and so so and and I loved him from Twelve Monkeys so it's, we we when we were in the room writing the character we just wrote Captain Stashwick so Captain Stashwick comes in and and we, we knew exactly how to write him right away uh, and so it was one of the easiest things we had we had ever written so it's um it's flattering for all of us for for todd for the writers that uh that it has uh, that that they have embraced it and then i don't know if you saw that but they have announced this beautiful 12 inch action figure of him that this oh. x thing and they like it's going to be amazing like that so oh, that's so cool that's it's that's the coolest thing ever. Yeah. Yeah. I've already started to figure out where I'm going to put it back here. Uh, right. Yeah. yeah. I think it'll go great. Yeah. <laughs> trying to get them to make a Titan. They're going to make a trying to get them to make a Titan captain's chair for it. So it has. It's oh, going to spin, great. of course. Yeah. 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 You're right. All right. <laughs> Just making sure. Well, then but you got to make a seven. But I noticed you beat the living crap out of your friend Todd Stashwick <laughs> in this season. I mean, compound fracture of his leg. I think at one that point. That is a tradition. Goes back from 12 Monkeys. Every season I beat the <laughs> shit out of him. In oh, you're, you're, yeah. You're t Todd, you're totally screwed in this yeah. season. We're going to yeah. beat you up several times. Then we're going to kill you. Yeah. And so right. good luck. <laughs> right. No, it goes back to, so there's an episode in 12 Monkeys where he, he plays a very particular kind of asshole. He's sort of like a sociopathic Pete Venkman. In, in 12 monkeys and these characters uh, uh, try and off them in, in one of the episodes. And so they take them out to a place and, and essentially they're, they're, uh, they're good fellows seeing him. They're, they're, they're going to off him. At the end of the episode, he comes back limping <laughs> near dead. And he, instead of like seeking revenge, he's like nicely done. And from there on through, there's just a respect level with those characters from the, but he's just beaten to an inch of his life. So from there on through every season, I take him to a place like that. And that's, that's our tradition. It's like at the end of every episode about Battlestar Galactica, when uh, there's a cartoon version of Rondi Moore and his, I guess, producing partner. And oh, right. one of them beats the shit out of the other one. Yeah. And it's just in, in yeah. new and creative ways every single time. And it's, yes. so, yeah, it's like that. It's like that. So you said the uh, the uh, Shaw dead naming thing that was uh, that was intentional. That was the uh, where he yeah. refers to Seven as her human name before she was assimilated. That was kind of the idea that he's he's pulling that kind of stunt. Yeah, I, you know, yeah. I we didn't we didn't strictly say dead name. I mean, it was yeah. we knew it was it, he wasn't going to refer to her, her as a board name. And then, as you know, in the writers' room, certainly with our with our queer writers, it became it became a dead naming like allegory, but it's yeah. not exactly a one to one right 
allegory because, you know, the trans community is not necessarily the Borg in that way. But yeah, like, yeah. Right. Massacre people at the Battle of Wolf 359. So, um, but it is definitely um, uh, a, uh, uh, an identity allegory in that way. Um, um, and, you know, I think um, for in that, in that kind of, uh, uh, that aggression, um, and it was it, it was interesting to watch that um, that uh, that play out on social media too, because people really hated him and then came came to really love him by the end. It came yeah. to kill this guy to you better not kill this guy, right? Um, by the end, which was which was uh, some, really something. But the other thing about that character is complexity, which is. I, I thought fascinating is that he's actually right about a lot of stuff. He's right about, you know, the, the breaking the rules and, yeah. and going against protocol and, and he has every reason to be pissed off about some things. Yes. Uh, so all the rest aside, he has a point. And that's yeah. like, a, that is a long stat that starts way back in season one. I mean, there's so much insubordination going on in that show going forward it's it's kind of incredible like it's this is the first time i think anybody's even noticed yeah i mean they it, which was a uh, risky for us to to for us to play because Riker and picard are straight up mm -hmm. breaking the rules but it's okay because you love them and they're doing it to rescue their friend so the audience is with them but they're it's not good. But exactly. <laughs> they're doing. But it played it was an interesting dynamic to play. Yeah. Oh, I thought it was fascinating. Actually, it's one of my favorite parts about about it because it was so out of left field. Right. Like nobody nobody questions the great Jean-Luc Picard. Right. So, yeah. I loved it. Was the um Neo Constitution class vessel uh, oh my god, first of all, genius idea. When I first saw that in the very first trailer, I said, oh my God, they're really onto something with season three. This is going to be really incredible because it, it just, it screams out Star Trek. It's, you think of that design, uh, who, who's responsible for the design of Titan A and who came up with the original idea? Let's, let's do this. Let's go down this road and kind of bring back that constitution class look for this particular ship. So that came about. Um, thank you. So that, that came about, um, we needed a new hero ship and I, I was looking at a lot of the designs, um, going forward and, uh, we had just designed the stargazer and I had, uh, for, for season two. And I, I, I was bringing things back to a saucer section. Everything had, 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 uh, the enterprise E and the enterprise F had, w w was, was, was heading in a real sort of arrowhead forward kind yeah. of spoon-like design. If things were getting real chonky yeah. um, and, and battleship, which I, I, I rationalized for, you know, the dominion war and, and things. But, uh, and, and so uh, we, you know, we brought in, you know, again, it was uh, John Eves, everybody who had been designing these ships and uh, we kept 
kept heading forward and the designs just kept just getting too advanced. So, and I, I had designed the, 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 the nacelles on the stargazer. I had harkened back to the, the sort of art deco, uh, the, uh, movie era de design, uh, yeah. already. I had sort of brought them back towards the, the Kirk movie era. Then I saw this fan, uh, named Bill Krause, uh, had made this kind of quasi neo well what i call the neo constitutional this design of this it's called the shangri-la class ship uh that was like a like kind of a new constitution class ship and i showed it to dave blast i'm like i really liked this ship what if we added our nacelles and tweaked it a bit um and so dave blast our production designer reached out to him we got the design um uh, we we handed it over to one of our ship designer, Doug Drexler, who kind of made some changes a little bit to fit our, our our aesthetic a little bit more, and then that became the Titan, and and then we rationalized uh, uh, a, a few uh, design tweaks and why Starfleet might be going a bit more retro. Got a whole lot of shit from some from <laughs> some Star some Starship nerds. Um, and but it was okay um and then we some trailer came out got a lot of whiplash from some star trek fans and then a lot of love from some older star trek fans um yeah, me. and uh and then and then it came out and then a lot of love i think once it's, people started to see it in action people start to 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 fall fall in love with it um and that's the case with most starship ships, uh, Star Star Trek ships. It goes back to like the Enterprise D. I remember when when they debuted the Enterprise D. I remember when the first time they showed it, people were like, "What the hell is this thing?" Because <laughs> um, it looked nothing like it. And then people embraced it and fell in love with it, and it became a thing. Um, so, uh, so yeah, it was just getting back to the saucers getting back to a little old school star trek um the underdog was i really wanted the ship to feel like an underdog this season oh yeah feel, you know what i mean and just yeah. be like that thing is gonna just get its ass kicked all season <laughs> um and that was uh the spirit of it and i knew the i knew the ending was going to be um seven of nine becoming commander of the enterprise and that this was going to be the story of the origin of the new enterprise that this was going to be its maiden voyage and that the fact that it had been commandeered by the crew of the enterprise they were just going to rename it the enterprise and it so it needed to look like the enterprise um and uh so that became that became the enterprise g there's kind of a methodology cool. about that too in terms of if you're not a fan and you see a particular silhouette of something like, for example, Batman immediately recognizable as just a silhouette. Um, some of the great aesthetics in these various nerd universes that we dwell in have that kind of thing where you immediately recognize what it is, whether you're a fan or not. And that's what the Constitution class, I think, brought yeah. to Picard season three. Anyone watching a trailer or catching up GIF somewhere on social media and seeing that shape, that design went, oh, new Star Trek. Maybe I should check that out. That's right. immediately recognizable. Right. There's a method to this that goes beyond this. 
what I consider to be a derogatory term. And I, and I hope this goes away eventually, like the term Mary Sue. I hope fan service <laughs> dies as it, an it is a really strange thing this yeah. fan service term I, it's it, it like the word service is awful too yeah, yeah. It, it's not again i i, I liken it to what what is it 56 years now is that what it is, or is, or is that yeah what yeah talking to? okay so and I, i've been saying this to death people must really hate it but you walk into somebody's house and they've lived there for 56 years mm-hmm They've got stuff on their walls for 50 that they've lived in. They've got furniture. They live, they play music that they like for 56 years. Are you going to sit there and shame them for it? Like that's the house they've lived in. So like, so if you means you're running into stuff in the universe, because it's a 56 year old universe, it's not, you're not serving anything. It's just what it should be. Um, So yeah, I have a fundamental difference. You look, I think, it can be egregious and lucky and, and it's, I suppose it could be a fair criticism. I would say Moriarty was probably the most egregious thing that I added to it. I was fine, close. but I don't give a shit. I wanted Moriarty. In it. He's awesome. Um, but the rest, we really tried to be as or- organic as possible um, in it. Otherwise we could have easily just started the season with them on the enterprise D bridge. It's no problem. Yeah. Um, we could put them all in the enterprise. It's no big deal. They're back. Um, uh, but we didn't. Well, because, you know, it's that tension between familiarity and evolution. Like mm-hmm. you said, you can't have the the crew from the 90s being exactly the same because how weird would that be? It'd be right. really weird. It would not speak well of them as individuals if they haven't evolved uh, right. over three decades. So, and it's science fiction. Some technology sticks around longer than others and other technology advances. So like we, we kind of, I don't know. I feel like, um, I feel like you gave us the best of both worlds, uh, by having plenty of touchstones to keep us grounded in this, this universe we love with these people we love, but allowing us to, uh, or I should say allowing your, all of you and your creativity to kind of push the envelope to advance the story. And that's, that is so important uh, to keeping things relevant and alive, I think. Well, plus in a sense, uh, I just want to add that um, we're talking about essentially the finale of the next generation, which lasted seven seasons. It's a lot of storytelling and a lot of aesthetic references in the process of telling that story. And then you get to the final act of this, which I still contend, Terry, is not just one movie. I think Picard season three signifies a trilogy of movies. We got we got uh, movies 11, 12, and 13 in Star Trek Picard season three. And so um, you can't conclude those stories without referencing the things that led up to that point. In other words, imagine getting to act three of Raiders of the Lost Ark and suddenly Indy and the cast are in the story of ordinary people or something like that. (laughs) That would be quite a crossover. So Vatic's cigar smoking. I I just happened to rewatch the undiscovered country the other day. Mm -hmm. And there's a changeling, not the same kind of changeling, a different race of changeling, Uh, smoking the same kind of cigar in Star Trek VI. Maybe shape-shifting species 
have a thing for cigar smoking or something right. like that. I don't know. That's a coincidence, that actually. That's a oh, coincidence. We didn't wow. think of yeah, um, Amon. Is that what was is that? What yeah, Amon. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, um, that's a coincidence. We uh, that the the smoking thing came from uh, Amanda Plummer, I think. Wow. Um, we it was uh, it was just we just thought she should have a little bit of business, and it's Amanda Plummer and I'm thinking Pulp Fiction and just like, do you think you should be smoking? And she's like, Amanda Plummer is a, a smoker in general. I mean, would, yep. she would, she would smoke those, those, those fake cigarettes and then go outside and have a full cigarette and come back in. And smoke them <laughs> uh, so, uh, so uh, it was that, that came from, from that collaboration. So yeah, but no, it's a bit of a coincidence. Oh, that's fascinating. Yeah. It's fascinating too. Yeah. Um, also, just Bob's talking about how many seasons there were in the movies, but people also need to remember that when the original Next Generation was on TV, they got twenty-two to twenty-four episodes a yeah. season. Yeah, and yeah. that has to—I um, mean—that gives you luxuries you guys absolutely did not have. Uh, so did that, I, I mean, obviously that determined a lot of the, the choices you made, but you know what I'm saying? Like you're under completely different kind of, of time. Well, we had just Actually, we had done 20. I mean, cause we had did we did season two back to back. So we were, we did 20. Yeah. So yeah. But you know, you know what I'm saying? In, in yeah. terms of a season, you know, it's yeah. so what the original episode is a series had what a hundred and forty. Episodes. Yeah, I don't think they quite got to 200, did they? It was something like 199 episodes or something like that. What was yeah. oh, all I good things? Yeah. I don't know. It was, it was up there. It was a lot of television. Yeah. Yeah. So you got 30, which is just, and to do what you did in that short scope of time. Uh, oh, you it's, mean for the whole series. Yeah. Yeah. yeah the whole series. I was, yeah. I wasn't there for season one. Season I, one, right. You meant for season two, but yeah. But, but season two, we had, we did back to back. That's fascinating. Sure was. That wow. Was okay. I'm so intrigued now because. Uh, <laughs> this is Mary Trump. Sorry. Mind blown. This is where. Yeah, mind is blown. Back, back to back. The next day, literally one day we're doing season two and then the next day we're doing season three. Okay. I'm, I'm at, I, what kind, how was that reset? That was uh, impossible. It was wow. Hard. Yeah. Terry, how on earth did you pull that off? Because uh, we, I nearly died. You never. Um, well, there yeah, you go. It was. Uh, it was uh, we. We. You we, didn't sleep for a year. I. Oh, I did not. No. Uh, I like to say. Uh, uh, I. Uh, what's my little go-to line? Uh, I. Uh, I took thirty-five years off my life and put on thirty-five pounds. Um, it. Uh, it was. Uh, um, it was also a time of COVID too. Like COVID dropped in the middle uh, middle of it, so uh, I had to break off. Wow. Um, about eight eight weeks, nine weeks before season two was over to start working on season three. Yeah. And that's been one of the it's things about Picard is that that is uh, the seasons are so uh, qualitatively and thematically different. Um, that sometimes I wonder, like, how did you manage? It, it literally is like pulling a rabbit out of hat. What you did in season three. Yeah, 
Yeah. Like, they're, yep. all, they're all very different. Yeah. They were all, they were all different. They were all. Was the intention from the outset to be an anthology series? Was that the original idea? Uh, they said when I, came, when I came on, they said they, they wanted all three seasons to be, to be very different. Yeah. Okay. I, Cause initially I had said, um, well, you have a two season pickup. You could, uh, you could end season two with the biggest cliffhanger of all time. Uh, if we in build it and they said, no, 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 we want all three seasons to be different. I'm like, okay. Um, and so, um, so that was, that was the goal. And then uh, we, so we developed season two to be one story and then season three would be entirely different. And so uh, about 10, nine weeks uh, into before season two was Akiva's like, you know, you've got to, you got to break off and start working on your season three kid. And I'm like, all right. He's like, <laughs> and you know, and he's like, you, what do you want to do? I'm like, I want to do the last next generation thing. And they were all very, very supportive um, of it. Um, Thank goodness. It was a, it was yeah, a, yeah. a thing to, you know, um, it was pretty, pretty crazy. We'd be remiss if we didn't mention two things. The visual effects, which were hands down some of the best I've ever seen, Absolutely. especially for television. And second of all, the score. Oh, my God. The score for this season is one of the greats in the entire saga of all the Star Treks. And um, I, I hear uh, not only references to other uh, Star Trek shows and movies, but I hear references to things that we grew up with. It has that sort of classic late 70s, early 80s, bombastic summer blockbuster sound to it that is inherently familiar. I hear hints of John Williams and Alan Silvestri's score yeah. for Back to the Future and all these little things, and not that they're being derivative or anything like that. It just has that same vibe. Mm -hmm. Right. That was the, that was the goal. So I, for season three, I brought on uh, Stephen Barton, who was my composer for 12 monkeys. Um, and I literally <laughs> parked him in the office next to me. And uh, I, the, the goal was to make it sound like the Star Trek films I grew up with. Mm -hmm. uh, and I said, well, you know, the, the goal is how, what would Jerry Goldsmith do? What would James Horner do? What would, what would, uh, um, how how can we make it every episode sound like a giant Star Trek movie? Now the problem with that is uh, when you have a movie, you have weeks and weeks and months and months to score it. Yep. You have an episode of television, you don't. You know, in television you're supposed to write it. You're supposed to track it. Means you write, you reuse a lot of cues um, after a while, and we didn't want to do that. Um, so uh, we burn Steven out uh, uh, and, 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 you know, and, and we were spending a lot of money on orchestra. I mean, we were, it was a feature film orchestra uh, and you don't have that kind of money in television. So, yeah, so, so, so suddenly we were, you know, we're, we're scoring sessions and, 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 you know, at a time of COVID too, which is more expensive because you, right. you can't have brass and string in the same room at the same time anymore because um, of COVID costs and so you know everything's costing more uh so by uh episode seven 
Steven's like, help. Um, and so, uh, but it's sounding amazing. Like we've, 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 we've been doing it. We've been, we have a feature film score. Uh, and so, but we had found this, um, my editor drew, uh, we had been temping, found this brilliant score called, I think, Occupation Rainfall that we used in, it was this time, this movie that no one ever heard of, but we've been using this music in some of our times. I was like, who is this composer? What is the score? <laughs> this guy named Freddie Weedman. We're like, I don't know who this guy is, but maybe he'll want to do an episode for us. So I sent, sent an email, never heard back. It's because it went to this guy's spam folder. So I called this, <laughs> called this guy's agent and he's like, this guy will do a Star Trek episode for you. Young guy, turns out he's in LA, literally get him on the phone, starts scoring for us the next day. This oh guy's the greatest guy ever, becomes one of our best friends, ends up scoring. He writes the big Q, make it so, the Enterprise D thing. Which oh, is the best, nice. the best track of the score. Maybe right? the best, yeah, yeah. He ends yeah. up, yeah. Poor Steven's so burnt out, he doesn't even get to write the big piece. <laughs> That's okay. Steven gets to write the whole last half of the finale. Yeah. Which, which has all the great stuff. Steven's written enough. Steven got like, you go, he's like, he's like, man, I don't even, I'm like, Steven, you wrote set. You're good. Steven, you go to the Titan theme. You're golden. Um, um, but we, uh, and then they together, they wrote the brilliant finale. Um, and, but it sounds amazing. Uh, and, uh, and they got along amazing. And uh, I love them. Um, That's so cool. They're just the greatest guys ever. Um, and so um, could not have been luckier uh, with those two. Did you go to the scorings, uh, the recording? Oh the score? yeah. Yes. <laughs> Although I missed the big one. I missed, oh, no. I missed that one. Oh, make it so? Yeah, my, uh, wow. I did not get the email about that one. Oh my gosh. Oh. Yeah, uh, yeah, but that's, it's okay. It's I would fun. have, if I had attended and it was my project, I would have passed out. As soon as I heard that music go and, and <laughs> be in the control room, that Steven, would have been it. Steven, <laughs> Steven recorded um, the the final cue, the uh, the end credits. He yeah. re-recorded nice. the big next-gen theme for the poker game when it went for the big, the big credits. And when he did, we did it at Warner Brothers. All of Warner Brothers came out to into that into that. To, I mean, it was there was a crowd listening wow. to the next gen theme. Mm. Cameras everywhere. I mean, it was packed. And some of those players played on the next gen movies. Played on First Contact. Played on Generations. Played on. Oh my gosh! Yeah, played on Motion Picture. Some of them played on Motion Picture with Jerry Goldsmith. Uh, incredible. That's yeah. amazing. Yeah. Yeah. Is there something along the way that was just where you had to spend days, if not a week, to triage uh, some sort of crisis? Was there something that just fell apart and you had to scramble to fix it in time? Um, there's a few things. We almost didn't get Ed Spilliers. Uh, we uh, there was a visa crisis, um, and uh, uh, we almost didn't get Ed, and that would have. I mean, I don't think the season would work without it. Uh, I, I think I, I really don't. And, and there was no plan B. Was that because of COVID? Uh, it it wasn't because of COVID. It was. Um, 
Oh, because COVID was, sorry. No, it um, was an embassy. It was an embassy thing. It was just a weird embassy hookup, uh, 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 not hookup, uh, uh, hiccup. Uh, and uh, that was that was really bad. There was nobody who was going to be able to pull it off aside from that. Wow. Wow. And then and then at the last minute, I got a text from Eddie. He's like, it went through, it went through. And it was, it was, so that, that was great. Um, there was an alternate ep episode six that we almost went down um that uh set us back a bit um where uh instead of the fleet museum we went to a sort of a uh uh space pirate spy, space pirate tortuga area that was really interesting with a, a naomi wildman uh was a character from star trek voyager uh it was a grown-up character that we went to episode didn't end up working but we spent a lot of time on it we broke the whole episode uh enterprise d building that was uh, a nail biter because it, it, you're building a set from scratch that hasn't been around and sourcing rugs and paint and things that have not existed we were literally gluing that carpet on still from like when they're when that cast was walking on still um that, that that's my you said six months it took yeah that's... the board cube the board cube the queen's board cube we had a lighting day it uh we did a lighting test and it looked like uh dagobah it just didn't look like a no why <laughs> it just didn't look right it didn't look like a board cube um and we luckily we came in on a weekend we looked at it, I'm like this doesn't look right it doesn't look right um and we were able to fix it and looked amazing on the day Things like that nonstop, actually. I mean, there yeah. I could actually now I can list a thousand of them. Um, we are my office is caught on fire. Oh That's my god, <laughs> minor detail giant electrical fire. We had to move to all new offices right in the middle of it. Jesus, wow. Uh, right. Was there a lot of improv on the set? There's almost no improv. Wow, no, yeah, I don't think very kevin smith of you yeah. i bet they're Kevin. no i mean because... we would have we would have uh we would have if anybody was going to do it it would have been todd but uh they're just i don't i can't think of it uh oh you know what was an improv line hmm. uh those were the days uh oh you know, yeah yeah Patrick line those were the days i think it was uh uh oh i mean the f-bomb was his um uh in the it's moment. still weird for me to hear star trek people swearing and I'm not a prude by any stretch of imagination, but it's sometimes like, what? You, you well, know, I connected that. I connected this to, to canon, uh, the obscenities. I connected to Star Trek Four, when I, 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 I want to believe yeah. that the obscenities in the Star Trek universe reemerged because of Star Trek Four. Right, because they went back in time. They, yeah, they, yeah. They, yeah, look, I, I mean, I, 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 I didn't... Uh, I mean, Patrick just did it on the day because he was so in the moment because he was so because him and Ed were so good in in the scene. Uh, so I didn't see it actually until the cut, um, and I was like, "Whoa, that happened!" Um, but again, and then even then, I was like, "Well, let's look at an alt." And then my editor and John Johnny were like, "No, no, we're keeping it. It's too good." <laughs> it um, was really good. And um, but it it was. It was good, and then the, but the other one was scripted with Amanda's, which was uh, fucking solids. Was uh, this is great? Can <laughs> we give was... a round of applause to Amanda Plummer? Seriously, I mean, forever, I mean, forever. 
yeah. I've always loved her and to see her in this and that devilish smile so of hers. We had dinner with her this week. Uh, oh my God. I, I, I just, I, you know, it was so funny. Um, I, at the uh, premiere, uh, I, you know, I saw everybody at, at the, at, it was at the Chinese theater and then, mm-hmm. but um, at the party, there was something about seeing Amanda there that just like melted my heart. I don't, I don't know why there, she just was so wonderful. So um, giving uh, and just like embraced this character. She just loved playing Vanek. Like yeah. just loved it. Was so giddy about it. Um, that, 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 that uh, it, it was so charming. I don't know. I don't know another way to put it. Um, Did she feel as though she was channeling her dad in a sense from uh, not, not really. You know, she, she didn't bring up her, her, her father too much. Uh, uh, the chair, the chair moment was yeah. a little bit, um, but, but not really. She just, I think there was a freedom to it. It allowed her to go to, to, to so many different places at once. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, you know, it was funny. Um, every time at, during, during the screening, every time the Shrike was on the screen, she would, she'd go, that's my ship. That's my ship. And she clapped. She just, <laughs> in, in the way that you knew Vatic would too. Like it, it was pretty, it was special. That's so cool to hear because I, you know, I just think she's phenomenal actor and she embodies her roles in a way that very, very few people do. Um, And there's just something so authentic about her. And so that's really, that's really great to hear. Yeah. uh, Cause she's so phenomenal. Her character, Lydia in the Fisher King is just so endearing and you just want to give her a great big hug. And yeah, Oh, she's, she's great in Battlestar. She's got yeah. a she's got a small Maybe. role in Battlestar, uh, yeah. season three, I think. Yeah. And so I married an axe runner. Let's oh let's, yeah, let's yeah. not forget that, please. Yeah. Uh, Terry, I seriously, I don't want this to stop, but I'm feeling greedy. Um, so <laughs> I hope you'll come back. We hope I, you'll come I back. definitely will. This I, was I, I hope that, you know. I hope I didn't bore all your listeners on your first podcast seriously this is fantastic thank thank you you so much so much and we will be in touch a pleasure carmax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you because at carmax we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car you should love your car that's why every car we sell is carmax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer so don't settle Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Okay, that was just ridiculously amazing. Yeah, yeah. Where, where is he? Can we bring him back? I've got like a thousand more questions for Terry. <laughs> he has no choice. Of course, he's coming back. Yeah. But we should probably have some other guests on first. <laughs> yes, absolutely. In fact, we've got the great Jerry Ryan coming up next time captain seven of nine this is so exciting because it's one of those things where this is the first guest that we'll have that has history with my star trek fandom that's going back to like the middle 1990s when i was dirt poor working in radio making 98 dollars a week and uh watching star trek voyager 
and uh, and just being totally into it. Still building the models, by the way, and uh, <laughs> which have all been destroyed by a cat at some point or another. But yeah. uh, suffice to say, I'm looking forward to talking with Jerry Ryan next time around. Uh, I cannot wait. I will be spitting in my chair um, in anticipation yeah, of yeah. that interview. She's fantastic um, in other things outside of Star Trek as well. Okay, well, I don't think our first show could have gone any better. Mm -hmm. uh, this is my new favorite thing. Yeah. So, Bob, I'm thrilled that we decided to take what started off as mm -hmm. a kind of off-the-cuff remark. Well, I was on your podcast talking about politics, our yeah. politics, uh, that we made it a reality. Yeah, yeah, it's an exciting thing. And uh, it's such a great area to dig into, uh, especially given our day jobs, so to speak. Yeah. Sticking yeah. our face in the white hot plasma stream of American politics and then being able to take a break a little bit, talk about Star Trek. It's still kind of in our area of expertise, but it's something that's fun. It's like uh, President Bartlett talking about national parks in that episode of <laughs> the West Wing. Yeah, it's three o'clock in the morning, but this part's fun. So that's what I'm excited about. And, and, and this, I think this episode has been sort of the basic format that we're going to be dealing in. It'll be a conversation between the two of us about an episode of Star, Star Trek and specifically the allegory in that episode and deconstructing that and then segueing over to a, a guest interview. And so you can expect more of the same moving forward. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and I just wanted any, everybody out there, make it one of your goals in life to put yourself in a position where you have to watch Star Trek for work. <laughs> exactly right. Oh, and by the way, don't forget to uh, like and share and subscribe and circulate this episode all around. Uh, we're on social media at Trek Politics on Twitter, at Trek Politics on Instagram. The website is trekpolitics.com. I think you get the trend on the naming convention by now. But uh, we're going to be adding, I don't think we're on all of the podcast platforms yet, but we're going to be adding that as we go. So uh, be patient with us as we get this thing ramped up, but we should be running on all cylinders here coming soon. Running running all on all thrusters, I should say. Yeah. Absolutely. Uh, <laughs> all right, that does it for us. Uh, thank you so much for being here. We will see you back next week at the same time with the phenomenal Jerry Ryan. Take care. Bye -bye.